Hey, man. Who feeds the man that feeds the man? Hey, one time for the man. One time for the man that feeds the man. Hold up. One time for the people. It's all about the people. It's all about the people. And today's episode is particularly about the people because it is important to acknowledge that for me and you specifically, let me not say me and you specifically, for people whose work centers around people, it's always a beautiful day when we get to celebrate the people. And that's exactly what today's episode is going to be about. The Black celebration of Black people, essentially. That's right. That's right. Not no normal celebration of Black life. You know what I'm saying? Not no normal Black History Month episode. You are getting the all the way live celebration of Black people, culture, community. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not as serious as we need to be for how serious of a conversation we need to have is what I want to point out you, before we start. When you said count me in, I immediately went to gunshots. I was like, oh, one gunshot. Come here. Come here. One gunshot for the count. One for the money. Two for the show. <laughs> well, <laughs> how can I how can I miss my mark being counted in like that? Listen, people, everybody, welcome to the All the Way Live podcast. Absolutely welcome. My name is Velaki Gila. I'm here with my co-host, my brother, co-founder, Miles Xavier. And this show over here is nothing more than carefully curated conversation for your cranium. And how we have broken that show up is into three different parts that stumble upon current news and recommended and review. You see, we, we chopped this show up intentionally to make sure that we give the people what they want. And don't we do it. One gunshot for the people, please. One gunshot for the people. Hey. One gunshot for us. <laughs> Thank you for that, Miles. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you gave us a gunshot. You know, sometimes it's important to give yourself a gunshot. It is important. I want all of y'all out there Give yourself a gunshot, pat on the back, a little fist pound. If you got somebody with you, give them a fist pound. Show love, man. Matter of fact, let's just acknowledge it's Valentine's Day this side. Y'all going to get a little bit after. Hope y'all are enjoying a beautiful Valentine's Day this evening. And when this message receives y'all, that any fights that y'all got into over the holiday have been resolved. <laughs> but, dude, this episode drops on Wednesday. By Wednesday, you shouldn't be over your Valentine's fight. You, we praying that they will be. We praying that they will be. <laughs> Y'all got into a little Malcolm and Marie over the Valentine's Day. We hope that y'all are back to the happy, uh, you know, monogamous bliss or whatever y'all be doing out there. Speaking of Malcolm and Marie, Miles Xavier, which goes back into how we've broken up this show and carefully curated it for the people. Today on StumbleUpon, we'll be talking about Judas and the Black Messiah. Now, this particular conversation has been, is going to be the anchor to the theme of this episode, which is just blackity blackness. That's what it's about. I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, and black, and I'm black, y'all, and we black, y'all. <laughs> I was going to say one gunshot for being black, but I figured that, I don't know if that, yeah, nah, I don't want to encourage that type of verbiage. Oh, thanks. That being said, moving right along, there we go, recommend it and review. Now, this, personally, is my favorite part of the show, because, Miles, you want to tell people why this is our favorite part of the show? Because we get to interact with the people. Get to interact with the people. AKA the people's part of the show. Uh, that's what we're going to call that. The people's, people's part of the people's part of the show. I like that. I like that. Well, on recommended and, and review, this is where we get to hear from you guys, what we should look into, what we should break down, what we should uh, recommend and or review. And people have been asking for bro, Malcolm and Marie. We got to talk about, oh, yeah, Malcolm and Marie, we got to talk about it. 
you got it. Malcolm and Marie, that's what we're talking about today. Listen, there's a lot to get to. There's a lot to get to. And I don't know where you want to be able to start this, but absolutely welcome, man. Welcome. Do we have yeah, an applause? Do you have an applause uh, sound over there? You don't have an applause. Applause sounds too white. It's a whole bunch of white people. Yeah, woo! We need a oh, that's yeah. a rap, Hey, brother. We need a hey, brother. <laughs> talking we need one of those yeah you don't you don't hear bad people very much there's not a lot of that nah but uh yeah man joe burger's in the building chicago's in a building on this side the building is in chicago it's still cold it's still frozen ice all over the ground over the land but we need to acknowledge that this land that we are filming on, on this side uh, this space that has brought so much to my life and my brother Zway's life is stolen land. The land that we're recording this podcast on right now on this side is the land of the Potawatomi people, the Council of the Three Fires, people that were forcibly removed from that land. The history of violence that was done to them is inseparable from the state we find this city in. Violence that we've seen perpetrated in this city, which will also tie back into Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, and yeah, man, the state we find this country in and the state we find ourselves in, bro. So we lift up love uh, for Native Americans the world over, for the connection and, and love between black and brown people the world over. Intro over. Let's get in tune to the show, man. Let's get into good? it, man. You know what we haven't done in a minute is the dap up, which I feel like today is extra important. That being said, yeah, you the glare. Ah, you good with that glare? You good with that glare? We haven't done the dap up in a minute, my brother. And the dap up always has started from a place of asking a very important question that people, men, specifically black men, or let me rather say my experience, what I've seen as black men, not asking each other how you doing, what you bringing into this space, and how you feeling, my brother. I'm good, man. I'm shining as you see me. Feeding yourself, y'all. Yo, get y'all right. <laughs> the, the glare is still there. That's perfect, right there. You're good. All right, all right. I'm good, play. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I come to y'all. Did I say cold? Man, is it cold out here? We've been dealing with negative temperatures, all types of snow flurries, man. Me and the homie downstairs have been digging people's cars out every like day or so, man. People are getting all types of stuff in the snow, but. Um, there's something beautiful and, and resilient about people that are taking care of each other, checking on each other uh, in the cold, man. So, yeah, uh, I come to you definitely dealing with that, being mindful of even myself, like checking in and being like, yo, I'm not getting as much sun. I'm not getting as much time outside. Like, am I cool? And it's, of course, as I say that, the sun will not leave me alone during my recording of podcast time. But, you know, it's all good. Um, so yeah, man, I come to you with that energy, bro. I'm, I'm, I also feel like blessed, man. I feel blessed to be, you know, as chaotic a time as we live in. And it's also a very special time. I think it's a time of people uh, where, where people are, have, are being forced to make choices, if nothing else, right? Are being forced to decide what they stand on, what means something to them, what doesn't. Um, and I think that I'm super fortunate just to be challenged by the people that are in my circle, yourself included. Um, some of the people that I work with, just uh, I find myself having challenging conversations on a regular uh, and, and approaching every weekend with just like an, an entire, you know, notebook of things to read and to check out and to, to follow up on. Yeah. Because, uh, there's so many amazing things happening. You know, there's so much I want to be up on and, and know. So I come to you uh, and may 
life is fruitful. It's bountiful. Every direction I look, there's more to experience and enjoy. So, yeah. That's that's great energy, man. That's absolutely great energy, especially when you when you take into account how, um, as you said, the times are the times are definitely weird. I was speaking to some people who do the work from home, but speak about how now that barrier of line between work life balance is even more thrown off than it was before because everyone's at home and they expect you to always be in front of your computer and all that and all of that, right? So it's it's important to it's important to point out just like the the value and let me rather say the the appreciation we have of being able to have a space like this and come and speak to people that's very fulfilling on our side you know and so if i have to dab in with that um i come with with the utmost of gratitude to uh, the work that we're doing to the people that be listening to this everybody that's been tuning in man that stuff means a lot to us it gives us energy to keep going and as we always say like this show is totally built around the feeling that we that we used to get from our our personal conversations and be like, man, this is such a, you know, these conversations leave us feeling a great, like a, leave us with a good feeling, you know, very motivated feeling and positive energy. And we wanted to bring that to the people. So for me, regardless of what I feel, every time I step up into the space, I'm overwhelmed by the, the energy that we've manifested in it. So I'm appreciative of that. And also ready to work, man. This is a, this is, this is a, 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 a worker's year is what it seems like. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it's one of those times where, yeah, we, if it's, well, I think we're also in a very pivotal point of life, right? Where this is, this is, I think part of the time where you have the most energy, you have the most opportunities mm. with, and, and, and responsibilities only increase from here. Right. So as I look around, if there were ever a time to, put the foot all the way down on the gas, this would be it. So um, I definitely see this time as as that for me. Um, but I also see it reflected in different people in different stages of life. You know, I see uh, a lot of people facing challenges, right? People that are uh, like, even even when I look at my brother, bro, and like, as and I'm sure I mentioned this on the pod before, as somebody whose college experiences were disrupted by having to come home for COVID. Uh, I look at folks who, you know, we're working the same job for years and years and years, you know, uh, that was disrupted during COVID. And it's just like, man, as much as this is definitely a year to work, this is also a year to uh, just acknowledge that nothing is promised. Um, so I hope that everybody out there is is both preparing for the future, but also just being extremely grateful for the things that are in our lives. You know what I mean? The things yeah. that we have no control over but that aren't going poorly right i think that's important to acknowledge as well mm. no that's real yeah that's on that's on it's chasing you i won't be honest with the people man this one did not come to y'all without a struggle this one did not come to y'all without a fight man. we've been intro this thing about 14 times we've done done 27 dap ups but we are here to bring y'all the all the way live podcast and all this glory and glamour Brother's way. Chairman's way. <laughs> I seen a movie recently that moved my soul. Shook Tell the foundation of my belief. Tell me about it. Reminded me of the strength of my community, the beauty of my community, and that we cannot be stopped by the pigs or any other force that seeks to keep us underfoot. We are seeds. They buried us. Now watch us grow. This way I saw Judas and the Black Messiah this week. 
Amen. Amen. Listen, what I appreciated most about this film is that it's a it's a document like a lot of these black hero stories tend to follow a very similar pattern, right? Granted, it is a hero's tale and hero's tales have a general structure to it, which is, you know, introduction, glory, struggle, triumph and or death. And in the case of black heroes, that death is usually how it ends up going. So it's going to be death. It's going to be death for sure. So what I appreciated about this, this uh, how they told the story is them getting into the psyche of the Keith Stansfield character. I thought that was absolutely brilliant in how they did that. Important to acknowledge, I think, also that when you're telling the story of someone who, to me, certainly, and to a lot of people, is a hero, right, lived as a hero, um, it's a risky choice to dedicate as much time uh, in what could be considered a biopic in, in an autobiographical piece, right, to his murderer, to someone who, by all accounts, right, um, well, it's tough. It's tough to say that he didn't have the same impact, right? Or wasn't as important because certainly what he chose to do echoes throughout our history, right? But it's, I, I wanna, what I'm trying to say is that it's, it's, a, it's important to acknowledge that this could have, they could have chosen to told, tell the story a lot of different ways. They could have chosen to make this just the Fred Hampton story, but choosing to shine as much light and spend as much time on the FBI on parts of the Panthers that were darker, sadder, more tragic than the typical hero story might allude to, right, is, a, is an important choice. Um, and one that I think makes the film what it is and as is, and is moving as it is. Yeah, it, it was, and it was entertaining and it was cool and it was inspiring. And these are all, these are all characteristics that I think are super important in, in, in hero movies, especially black hero movies, just for it to be on a fundamental level dope. And I thought this movie was very much dope. Like, it was interesting just the, the energy you get from that, right? And for Daniel Kaluuya to, to even portray a, a version of Fred Hampton that leaves us with energy, I can only imagine what being in those Black Panther meetings with, you know, impassioned by speeches from Fred Hampton would have, would have felt like and sounded like. Yeah, I think it does a really good job of, of, uh, of carrying their energy, of, of putting you in that period and in those spaces where it's tangible how much devotion to change, how much commitment to uh, action there were and there was in certain spaces, right? Uh, and I think that's part of the depiction of the movie, right? How could uh, Lakeith's character not be to some extent swept up in that? And how could you be in the middle of all that and still not see that this yeah. is the person that we need to protect, right? And I think the movie did a good job of, of, of putting the viewer there and, and that helped with the emotional connection so that the whole time you know, I don't know. I think most people, I don't know. I, that's another thing that I want to talk about too, is that I came in with so much background knowledge on this story that uh, I think I had a very different viewing experience than most people. So one, obviously you knew that Fred, this wasn't going to end well for Mr. Hampton, right? 
<laughs> I did. I I did know. But I mean, that's that's the thing, right? We I think we it's, it would be easy for us to take for granted, right? A movie called Judas and the Black Messiah, which actually doesn't even have his name in the movie, right? Yes. That we know the story. And I think we're looking forward to this movie as a telling of a story that is important to us. But I think it, there are probably a lot of people out there that don't know who Fred Hampton is mm -hmm. and how he died, right? Can um, you break down who Fred Hampton is for the people? Fred Hampton was the deputy chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party in the 1960s. Uh, he was a very young man at the time. He was somebody who tried to unite various groups in Chicago to form a rainbow coalition uh, just to further the interests of the disenfranchised, the marginalized and underserved communities, right? So he tried to connect with powerful groups at the time in the movie, we see him uh, talk to the crowns. We, we hear the black peace stones referenced multiple times, uh, the young lords. These are groups that are, that were uh, of people of color in Chicago that were formed to protect uh, communities of color from both the police and white mob violence, right? Which was a thing that would happen often in cities across America would be uh, racial attacks across different communities, right? Especially from white people on communities of color, right? So things like the 1919 Chicago race riots and the Tulsa, Oklahoma bombings are, are examples of this. Uh, and we know about violence that was perpetuated in the 1960s as a reaction to the civil rights movement, right? And so there were groups that were formed to protect these communities uh, some of them, the Black Panthers, gained a much more political uh, connotation, whereas others were labeled as gangs, evolved in different ways. Some of them became gangs that we know. Uh, the gangster disciples were mentioned, the disciples, right? Were mentioned multiple times in the movie. That's the GDs, right? The Black Peace Stones, uh, the Peace Stones, the Black Disciples become the BDs. And so we have this kind of... Uh, funnel effect from these larger organizations that became fragmented into the gangs that we know of now, uh, but also different organizations that we know of now, right? And so it was just really interesting from a Chicago standpoint, knowing that history, seeing all those connections being made, the first 35 minutes of the movie where he's going out, you know, and talking Notice to all it. these different groups, right? Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure that experience for me was very different than people who don't know the movie. So I think, and maybe I'm overcompensating saying that people didn't know that he was gonna die, but I just want to just acknowledge that, like, yeah, this was a this was this was a film that made you. If you do know that, it, it, it the whole time watching it, it's just like, wow, look yeah. what was stolen from us, right? He was um, twenty one years old. He was twenty one yeah. years old doing this, and the confidence it's the confidence he did it with. It 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 almost to me is a testament of let's say somebody that can sing very well from an early age or somebody that is recently dude you know we went to go feed a community that was out in the middle of nowhere and everybody asked this young boy who was must have been 12 year old at the most you know around these grown-ups who were spiritually inclined and part of the church they asked this young boy to pray and this young man prayed bro like i'm talking he prayed in a way that it I, it did not, it was not him that, he was just the vessel of what was coming out of him. 
And that is the, the same feeling I get watching and knowing about Fred Hampton, how young he died, but also what he was trying to accomplish in his lifetime. Thank you so much for the history. Like, even for me, like I'm learning some things from, from how you break that down. And I like the fact that you pointed out how gangs, you know, the, the, the lineage and history of how gangs got to where they are now and where they started as, as means of protecting the people. So my question to you, and, and think about this, because I've been thinking about it too. Do you think you would have been part of the Panther at that, the Panthers at that time? Um, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I think, I think that, I think a lot of that depends on your peoples, right? Um, who would, who would my father have been? Who would he have been affiliated with? Like, who would I have grown up around? Who would have been my uncles? I think determines a lot of that, right? Um, and has always determined a lot of that, I think, from a Chicago standpoint, right? Where you grow up, the territory that you're born in might determine you know, a lot of who you're, who it determines who you go to school with, it determines who you come up with and you form relationships based on that. So whether I would have been uh, part of the Panthers or part of uh, the Disciples or part of the Crowns, you know, I think very much depends on geography. Um, but another thing I just wanted to say that, that your comments brought me to was that, yeah, man, I think uh, it's cool to see the history of, of, these different groups and organizations and that the, and to see depicted the way that gangs were started as community organizations to feed people, to protect people. Um, and, and, and this movie didn't go super far in doing it, but I, I, something that I picked up on it and I would love to see focused on more uh, and brought to the spotlight more is that these organizations became the gangs they became later because of things like this, because the leadership that held it together was assassinated and jailed and beaten and, you know, tortured and, and you, like had so over, over policed and over surveilled. Right. So when you do that to the people that are, that have genuine interest in leading these groups and have genuine interest in the community, when you treat these people as the danger to national security, as we saw, you know, the higher ups in political government and the FBI focusing efforts and attention on someone like Fred Hampton. It's important to draw those connections is, and to determine that the things we see as risk factors in black communities and communities of color today didn't arise out of nowhere and didn't arise out of some inability for black people to cope in society. Man, there are uh, leaders were taken away. This was done to us on purpose. Uh, the, the, the disorganization is a is a circumstance of the actions that were taken to cause disorganization. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And we're still recovering from that. You know, we're still, we're, we, it's still hard for people to organize. It's still hard for these groups that have been fractured by the absence of leadership to come together uh, for the community because everyone is so focused on, on survival, man. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, it pulls, it pulls one to the conversation that we usually, that we've had before in the past, which is like, what is then the right criteria or the right, uh, the right characteristics for the next great black leader to push us forward. We had Obama for a few years. Right. And so that was, you know, we had 
we can all as a consensus go, okay, that was our leader. But then, you know, now that him stepping away from that particular position of power and a lot of controversy within the black communities regarding how people feel he delivered on the mandate that he had promised and, um, you know, whatnot, that, that's a whole episode on its own. But it, it, it makes you wonder, one, do, do black people have a savior complex? And two, where, what is, what, who is the next leader that we need? Uh, I think first, yeah, I want to just acknowledge that Black leaders and the difference between someone in a position of power who's Black and someone who is in a position of leadership whose energies are primarily focused on the advancement of Black people are two very different things, right? Those Mm -hmm. are two very different types of Black leader, right? Uh, Yeah, and so when it comes to do black people have a leader complex, I don't know if we have a leader complex, but we've certainly been traumatized when it comes to leadership, Mm. right? We've certainly had people arise to fulfill roles of leadership in academia in organizing in uh, advocating uh, in community service. We've, we've had leaders that have been, uh, taken from us in various ways, whether that be by through the system of mass incarceration or assassination uh, or, you know, various other means by which Black progress has been undermined. But I think, so yeah, we can't ignore the fact that it is demoralizing as a people to have your leaders, right, taken from us over time. I don't know if we've developed a complex where we look where, where we have become enabled to function without a leader, but I think that we are still dealing with from that trauma. I think something amazing that the movie does is that it makes you fall in love with Fred Hampton and the idea of Fred Hampton and mourn even while he's still on screen, the leader that we lost, all the while he's advocating that the power is not with him, but within the people, right? They're sitting around the day before he's, the night before he's murdered, the night before he's supposed to go back to prison, trying to figure out what they can do to keep him free and his response is y'all need to figure out what y'all can do to open this clinic i'm just a person they can jail me you can jail a revolutionary but you can't jail the revolution yeah and so no i don't think black people have a have a leader complex i think we do need to continue to be a village to grow our own our own homegrown leaders within our communities and and push for that um but I think that the, the message stands strong, that the power is within the people. The, the power to create change becomes not when we find the one person who is going to represent us, but when all of us become invested enough in change to represent ourselves uh, and to represent our neighbors who are unable to represent ourselves and join in collective voice to make what we want to see happen, happen. Yeah, it does. What it, it did make me look at the idea of, let's say Fred Hampton were to have his Mandela moment, let's say he does not get assassinated and eventually ends up leading, you know, the black community and or the free world. Does, do other communities also go through the sim, a similar struggle that South Africa would go, like that South Africa went through because of the savior complex that comes with our leaders? Like I'm, I'm trying to find and it's hard to articulate, but I'm trying to find the correlation between these 
godlike leaders that we have and then the subsequent disorganization within the political systems that they that they create if you understand my question not yeah, even it's not even it's, a question it's just something that i've been i've been contemplating well yeah i think it's very i think it's very complicated and i think the answer to that has to do with a variety of things including is the person who's leading the revolution the person who is then put in power to lead whatever follows right um just because someone is the right person to galvanize uh, a community for change doesn't mean that that person is the person that needs to be in charge of of creating the structure that follows at least not by themselves right yeah, yeah. and so i think that's where it's important to have leaders that are uh, a great leader great is someone who can identify where someone else's expertise would be the best for the community, right? And so I think a lot of times because people who have, who are able to exercise their political will often become figureheads, then you, you and it becomes difficult to separate this person's actions to actually affect change versus their actions that are virtual signaling to maintain power mm. and so i think that complexity actually means that it's better for us to hand over that power to transition it right and so that's where you have things like um maximum time that you can serve in a certain position right but yeah to answer your question i think it's more complex than just the people not being able to let go it's this whole system of power where influence and and uh, your ability to to sway public opinion keeps you in the spotlight, even if you're not the most appropriate person to be pulling strings once you've done something good or seen as great or been a yeah. part of the process to free people. So it's tough, but I think it's more complicated than a complex. I think it's the way society is set up, right? Once you achieve power, it's set up for you to keep it because, you know, the people who made the rules happen to be the people in power and wanted to keep it. And that's how that goes. That's how that goes, which is why I appreciate the Fred Hampton um, theology so much of, of a unity and a, and a system that almost governs itself without a single head, but caters and tends to specifically the needs of um, the needs of the people. Right. And that is something that speaking from somebody who now is in a country that is overran with corruption that has continuous energy issues shit they might even cut the lights on us tonight you know what i mean with unscheduled load shedding this is a country that 15 years ago was exporting um electricity now we're over here and we and we're and we're in a place where it's bad right so speaking at the at the proverbial front lines of the change that needs to happen within my country and watching a movie like that gives me the energy to advocate and continue pushing for systems and solutions that are determined by the people and moving the power away from the hands of what is clearly an irresponsible government and i, I said it here first i said it here <laughs> in case in case they want to run it back and 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 you know pull me up for my words and i'll say it again what what it has been left to us in the country of south africa 
is a massive liability that has been brought to us by the same people that fought for our liberation. Now we thank them for the liberation that they fought for us. However, they put us in rather precarious, in a precarious position where my future and the future of my children is now jeopardized by the greed that these people have brought aboard. I am not a political person, but I am an advocate for the people. <laughs> mm. That's mad spicy. That's mad spicy talk for a capitalist, my friend. It's mad spicy talk the for a capitalist, capitalist I am. The enlightened uh, capitalist I am. If there is, if there could be such a thing. I think Brother Fred might have some words for you about your words, brother. But <laughs> you don't but think I would, this, I, you don't think this ultra, like you don't dude, we had a whole episode on altruism and capitalism. We can't <laughs> I well we I think we have I think we have divergent beliefs on on can can a capitalist be altruistic? Yes. Can capitalism be altruistic? I don't know. As a, I think you're relying on too many good eggs to to make that whole system. But I digest. I think new world order. I think what the movie absolutely should do is galvanize our generation and remind us that this is the probably the person that we've talked about on this podcast that has been uh, nearing the, sun, the center of public discourse that I feel most comfortable calling a hero. Mm-hmm. And we saw this person not in fancy boardrooms, not in, you know, on the steps of Capitol Hill, not, we saw this person in, soup kitchens and in classrooms and in gymnasiums and in uh public um like schools like uh what's it called public centers youth centers we saw this person out about in the community right and that's that's what a hero is right teachers organizers social workers right people that people that just care right Um, so i think that that's an important reframing to do as well i i like how you pointed out the 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 action that was behind the words man and there is there's there's nothing greater than there's no better feeling of helping than helping with your hands and your time and being there with the people man and so i'm and i'm sure i'm sure a lot of a lot of a lot of young black men and black men in general walked away with that same feeling and that same energy from that movie right so that's why i think it's important and that's why I thank you for, for, for touching on it and for bringing it up because when I was watching with my younger cousin, he didn't know the story of Fred Hampton at all, right? But then bringing that to him, he left that. He was like, yo, this is the most inspiring movie that I've ever watched, you know? And I said, yeah, this is, you know, this is a story about people. This is a story of, uh, this is a story of, of, of young black men who feel, who, who, who feel as though the system is not necessarily where they want to see it at and would like to express that in the many different forms that they can and are hindered by the options that they have to be able to express that, right? And so I think that's that story and seeing a man be so fearless about ideas that are so spicy, that, that, that is inspiring, man. And I encourage everybody to be fearless about their ideas. I think that's, that, that for me is, is a guiding, is a guiding, um, is a guiding light for what I search for in, in, in books and in information is for to be confident and fearless in my in my thoughts. Yes. Fiercely articulate, right, about the things that matter. And um 
Yeah, man, I'm glad. I'm glad that your peoples was was enjoying the film. It definitely touched me. I'm extremely biased because Fred Hampton is a figure that looms large in in my uh, in my mind and definitely in the spaces that I that I occupy. But I I love this film. Um, I, it was definitely one of my favorites of the year. Shout out to yeah. the cast for an amazing job. I mean, there's definitely a conversation that's going on right now about Black British actors portraying important African-American roles. That's a conversation? Uh, I think it is a conversation, but I think Daniel Kluwa made sure that it remains a conversation because of what a great job he did. You know what I mean? Body like, Body so I think, I think he did a great job. I think Lakeith Stanfield, when we talked about Black actors, is one of the people that I was like, if this person has chosen a role, I'm going to check that film out. Um, and to, for him to play such a conflicted, uh, a character that must have been so hard to play, so hard to to search for the motivations and identify and bring to life. That's that was amazing to watch. And then I wish I knew this young woman's name, but the lady who played Fred Hampton's wife. Um, you can look that like, up. I'll look her name up. Wow, did she did she body that? Uh, and I just thought that even the even the moment where she tells him that how she feels worrying about him and their child, knowing that having given his life right even before he died to the struggle, freed him of the responsibility and freed him from, you know, saying, freed him up to say certain things and be willing to put his life on the line in certain ways where she had to care about that child, right? And that's just a position that, you know, the, the strength to, to, to be forced to be both the warrior and the revolutionary and the nurturer and the mother mm -hmm. that, that women that are part of the revolutionary struggle are put in. Uh, I think this film did an amazing job highlighting that. Um, so the female characters in this, in this were dope. I just love this. I just, I just dug this film, man. And yeah. then a year of great black films and, and lots of uh, diverse black films. I think this one stands out for me for sure. Judas and the Black Messiah. That's the review, baby. All the way live. Put the stamp on it. Big black stamp on big black. Um, Dominic Fishback is the name of the female actress. Um, Ashton yeah. Sanders is uh, the other co uh, who played Larry, Larry Roberts. Um, Jesse Plemons, who is also in Breaking Bad. That's the white detective. This dude is he's nice with it, too. Jesse Plemons is nice. He, he's good at playing these weird characters. Yeah, I'm not really sure how I how I feel about this being yet another white character who like is doing some pretty terrible things, and then later in the movie, like we see that he like his superiors or other guys doing some even worse stuff, and he's like, but you know, and he's he's shaken to the core of what he believes about what they're doing out here. Like, yeah, you idiot. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they that's a that's a continuous trope in these in in films about black leaders is is and there's there's often these white characters that are portrayed in in such a weird way that it's almost just to give the white audience an out you know what i mean like an identifiable moment where he realizes his racism and it's like you mean I don't, um I don't, brad pitt coming to save the day at 12 years a slave at the end of the day you mean is that who you're referring to or I have or Tito Fey in uh, in uh, Soul. I yeah, I haven't decided how I how I feel about the de the depiction of that character and the inclusion of that like half turn. Uh, 
I don't feel like it was necessary. But that actor, to your point, does did do a did do a good job. I thought a lot of the scenes with him eating, a lot of the scenes with the other FBI guys like drinking beer, uh, really did play on the pig kind mm-hmm. of uh, you know depiction that the movie kind of centered itself around. As far as the police, I thought that it was shot well. Pig. It was amazing cinematic choices right there. Yeah, for sure. Hey, man, while we're in this neighborhood, and let's get into further cinematic discussions with what is supposed to be our recommended and review. Last week, I watched the movie. I told you to watch it. You did not want to watch it. I had to convince you on numerous occasions to watch said movie. You still didn't want to watch it. You planned an entire evening where you would be able to watch this movie. I was patient. However, I cannot be patient any longer because I am. I, I really do want to hear your thoughts on Malcolm and Marie, my brother, what you think of that movie? Uh, I liked it. Did I you now? It... Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, you seem conflicted I, about about it, though. I have, I do have, a, I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, I don't think it's perfect, but I think, yeah, just again, we've gotten so many different kinds of of black films this year, mm-hmm. and I. It, it is very much up my alley in terms of like, I'm the film guy who gets excited about a movie that's trying, you know, the minimal actors, minimal sets yeah. type of thing. They're, they're in, in and around the house, the entire movie. They're the only two actors in the film. I have, I like that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, I like dialogue heavy. Uh, so this was, this was up my alley in its form and its structure. Um, that's what I said last week too. I was like, I, I was like, you're going to dig it. I told you you're going to dig it. Um, and I said, if you're a movie lover, this is definitely um, one to check out. I know some movie lovers that have called it basic and have called it um, uh, film school-esque has been some of the criticisms that I've read. Now, I can, I can, I can understand some of those criticisms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that... I can understand. I, I think I could hear a lot of criticism about this movie and agree and still feel like it was more than worth the watch and even worth a rewatch or two. Yeah. Right. So one of the first things I want to just ask, get your take on is, did you like the black and white? I love the black and white. I love the black and white. Also, the the film that they shot the movie on um, is an ode to an old film style. Um, Quentin Tarantino also likes to shoot films in a similar style. Granted, his ones are more wide scene and wide scope. I think he shoots on like, uh, is it an eight millimeter or a 12 millimeter? I'm not entirely too sure. And I could be very off with those numbers. So do not put that on her. But he, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an ultra to a, a cinematic movie style uh, of a movie. So the black and white, for instance, I appreciated, let's say a movie like 12 Angry Men, right? And I appreciate, let's say like an old Casablanca, like I'd watch those types of those types of flicks. I mean, even Sin City, right? Which is an animation, but it's black and white, I think is absolutely dope. So it's all about the intention that they use the black and white for. And in this particular movie, um, despite the texture that they were going for, I think the polarity of those two colors speaks to the polarity of the emotions within the movie. And I think that movie is completely thought out in that matter. Did you dig the yeah, black and white? I agree. I thought I think black and white is a I think if you're if you're taking a love 
story, if you're taking the topic of love seriously, then black and white is always going to, I think we just have a connection to old movies and a nostalgic romance that is, that takes place in black and white. So I think um, to root this story of realistic love in that nostalgic old, like romantic framing was really a cool choice. Um, I think it does make you focus in on the actors and their emotions. So for that, I think it as a stylistic choice, I can appreciate it. Although there were certainly shots within the movie that I thought would have hit really hard in color. Um, the mac and the mac and cheese, uh, the mac and cheese. When he was eating the mac and cheese, if they would have made the mac and cheese in color, that would have been lit. Every time she was smoking a cigarette, that would have been great. Yeah, there were some. There were definitely some shots of of the house and of them, um, just like kind of hanging out. Especially the shots without dialogue, I think, were so beautiful and lingering mm -hmm. that I I almost wanted to see some of them in color. But I I overall, um, I don't think the black and white detracted from the movie at all. I think that was a cool choice. Yeah, that bad. The reason, I'll, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just go out and come out and say, so the whole the whole movie, I think, is, we can say it is about a fight without giving away too many spoilers. Nah, um, dude, it's, it's too late now. We definitely have to get into this into the specifics of it. <laughs> it's too late now. Skip this part. Spoiler this is the spoiler review. All right, this is the spoiler review, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, take a break, watch the movie if you ain't. Uh, and come back to the all the way. There is no, there's no true spoiler to the movie, dude. It's just like, it's a it, it, it's there is it's war because this, this movie's I, about war dude this is a war movie is what it is sure. even the sure, setting but, right the house is setting like what a trench is just saying i would say that i would say that there's definitely spoilers in this movie from the standpoint of and this this is the really beautiful thing they did to illustrate arguments um a lot of times you'll argue around a topic that's out of the core, right? They say a, they say a snowflake is always centered around a speckle of dirt. So you you can have all these complex, you know, tangents of, of arguments and frustrations that are all centered around this one little piece, right? And we don't get what that one little piece is until about two thirds through the movie of what she's really upset about. And <laughs> so that I think that- On point. It, I think that is, I think that is on point. Cause a lot of, a lot of times, Sometimes we know something we feel wronged and we harbor it for a long time and we go in and we get angry and go in based on that. But other times we're processing in real time what we're really angry about. And a lot of times we're at the same time trying to stop being angry and before we found out really what we're angry about. And I think that that is kind of what's or finding out or found out how to say what we're angry about. And so in that sense, I think that that turning point in the movie where she finally acknowledges that not only did she is she upset that he didn't thank her for her help in creating the movie, but that she really not and that it was her story, but that she really wanted to star in the movie and felt that she had done a better job as the star of the movie. And so I think when you rewatch the entire movie, knowing that from the jump, it's very easy to see the moments where he said something that's gonna make sure that the fight continues. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they do that to each other throughout the whole movie. That's that's the war element of it. It's like 
a perpetual build. It's like a gradual buildup of who can tear the other person down the most. And I found it very interesting the 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 tools that they use to be able to stab each other. Right? You see, um, sex used as a tool. You see, power used as a tool. You see, money used as a tool. You see, skills used as a tool. And I found it interesting in how. I was watching. I was watching it with, with with my lady, right? So as we're watching it, and the and um, Zendaya's character starts to now go at his work, right? And starts going deep into, you know, your fraud, uh, your your this ego that you have is built on nothing. The whole concept of yourself as a filmmaker is phony, and you're just a copy paste artist. In listening to that, that was one of the moments where I where I was like wow because that is that is breaking a man down at his core right you shake who he is as a person by going after his ego and his confidence and whatever and when i heard that i was like damn that is intense so whatever he followed up with after that i thought was was you know would i was like there's nothing worse she just broke this man down and whatever he said i found it to be almost comparable now watching it with other people and listening to how other people have said it, everyone is clearly saying Malcolm went way too far in what he was saying to Murray. I, I don't know if I'm one of those people yet. I need to rewatch it again. But I didn't walk away with the feeling of, oh, he's all the way wrong. I think both of them were equally as wrong. Really? Yes. Really? You think they were both equally wrong? I don't Even think though he-, he didn't include her in the, even though he didn't, Thank her for making the, for the movie. Yo, now that he's wrong about, right? Let's get that, let's get that like out the way. I think he is wrong about not doing that. Now, if, if I'm wrong about doing that and it, and (laughs) my partner is not communicating that with me, we suspend the total possibility that it could be that he just, he wasn't, he was thinking work and he wasn't thinking her at the moment, which happens. I'm not making excuses for this dude, but there is a reality in which that could be the case where he doesn't put that on her. Like for instance, I know I don't, if I have to celebrate something, especially celebrate my partner, I'm not going to do that in a public manner. I'm going to do that in the confines of my, of my home. But even if you just created the most public version of her experience and put it, and made it the product that your career is based on, the thing that you're celebrating? I say, I said he's wrong. I didn't, I said he's wrong for not putting it in that, but I I do know reality where he could justify that to himself. I think that's a better way to put it. Well, yeah, of course. But I think, I don't, I don't think your ability to justify something to yourself determines your level of wrong. Yeah. Right. I think, so when I saw this, when I saw this movie, the first time, the first time I watched it knowing that they were going to be arguing for the most of the movie, right? And I watched it to understand, to see, not, not necessarily to see who was right or wrong, but to see, I was more interested in the, what type of relationship they were depicting with the, with the premise of like, what should I, what can we learn about this, about relationships? And the reason that I say that he is, certainly more wrong than her is that he said a lot of things to her that were hurtful but they didn't all add up and amount to anything 
specific, right? Or anything that I felt was her fault, right? Everything she said created a profile of him based on the way that he's treated her. And it all built on its on each other part of it, right? If he had just not thanked her for supporting him in an unrelated movie, that's one thing. But I think that her, when she said that, he didn't thank her because he knew it would make people wonder how much of her contribution is the part to be praised in this movie, right? He didn't cast her because then the focus becomes on her and it's not just his project and his brilliance, right? I feel like he did, I feel like he did take her for granted for so long and then did, and all it would have taken was a thank you to make that okay. And he yeah. didn't even do that, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. she's she was, as a recovering addict, did a lot of wrong to him. A lot of things that a lot of motherfuckers wouldn't have stood for. She said some things that I was like, whoa, you did what? But none of that was, none of that was, that's hard, but that's not necessarily her fault in the same way ign ignoring her and using her story and failing to compensate her as emotionally or professionally, I, th I would say he was more in the wrong from what I understood from the whole story. The reason I said, and you're right, you're right. He was wrong for definitely not saying, for saying all that stuff. So the reason I say they were both wrong, right? It's like when, when you're in a relationship, and you agree to forgive somebody for something the the when you when you agree to to forgive somebody for something and you pass forward to why are you smiling <laughs> you think i'm about to <laughs> no 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 no. I'm, I'm reminded of the point in the movie where he thought everything was all good and he was like just stay like this think happy thoughts and then he went to the bathroom and came back and she was crying and he's like no <laughs> that part that part really? is relatable. Um, mm -hmm. So I was getting to- You were saying when you, yeah, when you promise to forgive somebody. Forgiveness, right? In a relationship, you forgive somebody. What that then means is that you do not bring it up and shout out to my homegirl for, you know, putting me onto this game is you do not bring it up when you're angry with each other. You do not speak about it behind somebody's back and you do not hold a grudge over it. Right. And then you take no, no, the third one is you take it upon yourself to move past it. That is, that is saying you forgive somebody in a relationship. Otherwise, if you keep, if all those three, if those things keep coming back, talk about it behind somebody, uh, behind their back, bring it up when they're angry, then it's not, then you haven't moved past it and you're kind of idle in that place. So what I was saying is that they were both wrong in how they approach this and how they, and he was wrong in how he, in, in not acknowledging her and taking her for granted. And she was also wrong in the ways that she had brought up what she had brought up to him. And they're both wrong in their inability to forgive each other for the things that they had said that they're gonna forgive each other with. Therefore using them as daggers. Now, as you said, me, I, I'm not the arguing type of guy. I don't raise my voice. I'm not that type of dude. Too chill for that. I walk out the door. I wouldn't have lasted in that, that situation. That is entirely too much for me.
too much. All right. Question for you. Question for you. Which argument was the most relatable to you? Mm. Um, I a lot. I mean, a lot of it was relatable, right? I I think I've I think I saw great and terrible parts of a lot of my relationships and in myself and a lot of those conversations. I think that was the point, right? Mm -hmm. uh, something that definitely resonated with me was the idea when she was saying that once you're sure somebody loves you, you don't think about them again, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I wouldn't say that's true about myself, but I would say that there have certainly been past relationships where I got so sure about us that I stopped doing maintenance on us, right? I tried to fix up everything in my life so that by the time everything else was fixed, I could move us into that part of our relationship and we would be good because I knew you love me, right? But that's not how love works. Love requires maintenance. Relationships require attention and, and, and back and forth. And they're not something that you can get to a certain place, hit save game and focus on other things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that level of comfort when you it, you make somebody you, you I'm the type of person who it's going to take me a long time to, to even acknowledge that I really feel like you love me. But once you have that, I, there's no going back on that for me. And something that I've had to learn all the time is that even though we've reached that point and there's no going back on that for me, that's the way that I operate. That doesn't mean that there's any less effort, any less back and forth, any less communication that's required to keep that relationship in this place that makes me comfortable, that makes mm. me happy. So that's something that resonated with me. What resonated with you? Like the, his monologue when he, when he reads the review, the, the first monologue he gives about the, the, the need to be able to express his freedom of his, to express his art and you know being in that state i think almost any review would not have appeased him just because of how caught up he is in his his art right and so that whole that whole um monologue on on taking what is ultimately a positive review but turning it into this 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 work of thought process of your work and then like that 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 resonated with me and that anguish and that and that uh frustration and that need for expression and being misunderstood and uh, all of that i think i think that that heavily heavily resonated with me and the whole relationship setting where she's just on the bed not paying any attention to him, mainly just laughing at him that that is very much the dynamic of of of, of my relationship so that resonated deeply but you know, argument-wise, you know, he he wanted food on the way into the crib, and that was a tough process for him to get. You know, that that resonated. I'll come home needing some some food and had to and had to <laughs> negotiate my way into it. <laughs> yeah. It's not, nah, but like yeah. on a more serious note, if you want to be more vulnerable with it, that um the I wouldn't say there's one particular argument about it, but that process of having an, a, a long going 
argument hours into the night. That has been something that I've experienced. No longer anymore. I think, you know, communication is key now. But that is, that, that part resonated. The never-ending fight. Yeah. Well, something that, something that I definitely took from their fight and something that I want to carry into my own relationships is not to, to never let yourself find yourself in a place where you're being cruel to your partner, right? There were definitely things said on both sides that were intentionally cruel, right? And I'm definitely somebody who is quick I don't, like I don't de-escalate. I evacuate, right? So like, if there's a situation going on, big facts, big facts. If 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 I feel like tensions are getting too high, I'll be like, all right, you know what? I'm gonna just uh, separate myself from the situation. I'm gonna go take a breather. You take a breather. And I've learned in past relationships that not everybody can handle that too. Other people felt feel abandoned if tensions get high, and you just say, all right, I'm out. I need some time, right? And so there's something to be said in terms of the never ending fight, right? Of being there because that is communication, right? And yeah. so I wouldn't even say yeah. that, the exist, the, that the existence of a long drawn out fight in your relationship means that you're not communicating as long as you're doing that without cruelty, as long as you're doing that in a way that's constructive, right? Like I'm definitely somebody who has very long talks with female friends that I'm not even in a relationship with because people have a lot of things that they don't know what to do with, a lot of emotions they don't know what to do with, a lot of signs that they're getting from their partners that they don't know how to read, that they don't wanna be the person who is nagging or insecure or underconfident, mm-hmm. right? The way that Zendaya reacted to when he says, you get meek around Taylor. And she says, I don't get meek, I don't say anything because I don't have nothing nice to say. People yeah. don't wanna be, you know, bitchy or or uh overbearing or you know like the they we're dealing with so much of this stuff in the back of our head trying to be as she again says at the end of the movie the best partner our partner has ever had right that i think it's inevitable that you're gonna have long fights it's inevitable that you're gonna say things that hurt your partner but it's important to know when you're being cruel and to keep yourself from being cruel to your partner at all costs. And don't let anybody be cruel to you. Call that shit yeah. out. If you feel your partner is being cruel or saying something cruel, raise that red flag, right? In the relationship. It's tough. It was tough to watch. So to watch. last episode, I put it amongst Mo Better Blues. I don't know if I still put it there now, but how far off was I? in putting it within that same Blu-ray DVD shelf. Not far. And that's the, that's the exact criteria that I think is perfect for it, is this is something that, in terms of Black films, I, I want this tonally different, beautifully shot Black and white piece as a part of that collection. Um, Good. But but Mo Bit of Blues is a hell of a film now. <laughs> it's a hell of a movie. It's a hell of a nah. movie. And this movie's an ode to it. And that's why I found it so interesting that John David Washington played a similar internally conflicted, misogynistic uh man who's, you know, grappling with his passion and his and his and his emotions and his dedication to his work, but then the balance of relationships and the messiness of that. 
watching John David do that, especially as a Mo Better Blues fan, was so, so enjoyable. It's just, you know, you watch that, it's like, yeah, man, it's your, you know, you your daddy, son. <laughs> you your daddy, son. That's funny. I actually, I actually thought Zendaya was the stronger performer in this. Um, I think that her face and her body language spoke volumes in silent moments of this film. But I think the relationship with Mo Betta Blues makes sense. Mo Betta is a is a conflicted artist, and it shows all of the spaces he carries this conflicted energy right this immense talent but uncertainty of what to do with it and it pervades his musical career pervades his relationships mm. and pervades all all of those things and i think in this film in malcolm and marie we see that uncertain uh but but certainly like ferocious energy right that creative energy come home and we see it exchanged between two people right that mm. that that the mm -hmm. artist that the artist centered around, right? I think a beautiful part of this movie that illustrated that rung true for me was that transfer of energy, right? Somebody's angry and the other person is trying to figure it out and get to the root of it. And then somebody blows up and somebody's left wounded. And the wounded yeah. person comes back and blows up yeah. and now the other person feels wounded, right? And there's just this constant flow, right? And you can feel the argument shift you know, and I'd hate to put winners and losers on it because I don't think that's the right way to think about these types of conversations. But you feel the energy shift into who's gaining momentum, who's getting their shit off, who's mm. getting their argument. And I think that, you know, is, is yeah, man, is beautiful uh, to witness and watch. And that painful understanding that the person who knows you best, the person who has seen you at your worst is exactly the person that you're standing in front of that has mm -hmm. every right to be angry at you and all the ammunition in the world to 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 pick you apart right um that's the so how the, do you how do you that's the fear no, like that's the the fear of of being vulnerable is that's the fear of being vulnerable is giving somebody that ammunition to be able to hurt you in that way and to um, know your deepest darkest parts and and you know putting putting that Putting the responsibility of your most sensitive and vulnerable play, uh, vulnerable things into their hands, you know, and I think that movie just people see them shooting it at each other. But that being said, out of ten, what are we giving it out of our all the way live score? Uh, I give it a solid eight. Give it a solid eight out of ten. I like that movie a lot, man. That shot where they at the table and they're shooting almost every. You can stop this movie at almost any point, and it looks like a fly picture. Yeah, for sure. It's very, at almost it's very beautifully point. shot. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, right? It's in it draws your eye to the to the right thing, and I think that yeah, its focus on the characters is very important. What does it mean to be seen by somebody, and for that to be true vulnerability, right? For somebody to be who sees you to be angry at you, who knows you to be angry at you. I think that's where some of the cruelty comes from is you want to show that you're the, that you can, if you, if we, if the argument gets this heavy that I'm the meaner one, so you don't ever want to take it here again. Cause the last shit you said really hurt me. So I'm gonna make sure that we, if we ever do this again, you think twice about being that mean to me. I think that the shots reflected that balance of power, you know, who's falling off the couch, who's laying on the floor, who's on top as they kind of roll over and, and cuddle and hang out and stuff. I think there were a lot of choices. I could see how 
somebody might say that this is that's this seems very film school because there are so many elements of the of the directing that directly connect to the plot in a way that's almost obvious yeah. but I, yeah. I i enjoyed i enjoyed that right for a movie that is relishing in in nostalgia and using it to its advantage your expectations i just it worked for me and if we're going to talk about things that the movie does right we can't go any further with oh we even i was going to think of first the soundtrack of uh Balkan memories incredible but also the soundtrack of uh judas and the black messiahs also also super fly that jay-z nipsey track oh boy oh boy that's that fire yeah for sure there's a lot of amazing uh a lot of people showed up for that there's some g herbo on there that's that's very very dope that first track um man apology I, I forget what it's called no 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 the first track uh on the album after the chairman's chairman jr's intro that song goes in um there's a rhapsody track on there about cointel pro that's mm-hmm. fire mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah gotta I, love I it, man it. I love, uh, I love it. I love it, man. There's so much. I've said it two, three times on this on this episode already. But there's so much. As I look back across the last like eight months with uh, Soul, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Sylvie's Love, uh, this. You know what I mean? There's there's so much just thought provoking and diverse art coming out by Black folks that I'm just. I'm happy to be to be taking it all in. I'm happy that um, these are films that I'll get to watch, you know, with kids, with you know, partners, with even my mom and my my folks. And I, I'm I'm happy to have things that I'm so excited about to share with my people in the truest sense of that. Hey man, good art all the time. Good art all the time. Listen, before we get up out of here, man, we got UFC 258. If we're still celebrating Black excellence. Um, our boy Kamaru Usman, the Nigerian nightmare, came through, did what he had to do against Gilbert Burns, ran through the man the way that we expected and anticipated him to do it. Uh, masterful performance by Kamaru Usman, man. This dude's on a 13-win streak right now. Yeah, man. Shout out to shout out to Kamaru. It's no uh, it's no easy feat to be fighting somebody who you sparred with, who knows your style. Right, who kind of who knows what to expect uh, more than the average opponent, uh, and for him to come out, the dude wasn't the dude wasn't no chump either. You know, no. he definitely came out some accurate leg kicks. You saw a little bit of strategy of him starting to chop at the leg coming in. He with knocked some, Kamaru some, down a bit for a second. He hit him with that in the first shot. in the first few seconds. Shot. In the first few seconds. So this was this was no slouch of a fight, but Kamaru maintained his composure uh, and just. The accuracy of some of that, some of that handwork, man. That hand speed is real, 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 real. So it was a good hey, fight man. to watch, man. It was a beautiful fight. I'm excited to see what this man continues to do. The UFC continues to provide quality entertainment. Uh, shout out to Justin Gaethje from a couple of fights before. I think he was two fights down on the card, went crazy. Another just advancing the entire time, dominating performance. Um, yeah, man, it was, it, was, it was quite a fight night. You said Justin Gaethje. Do you mean Gastelum? But I meant Gastelum. Yeah. I meant Gastelum. I figured I you meant Gastelum. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, listen, yeah, I, think man. We done, I think we done fed the people, dog. We done done it? 
I think we don't fed the people. We don't. Oh, we don't tame them. We don't gave the people. And you know, what I know is that you know. I know. I know. Y'all know. We know. We it's know. known. It's it is known. It's pretty known. It is known that pretty I need known. a new mic stand. But also, we know that y'all have a lot of choices, man. A lot of options, you know. And from all those options, you chose to be rocking with us. And we appreciate that, man. Clearly, we are a celebration of Black life. But also, we're a celebration of life in general. We're a celebration of celebrating. We're a celebration of y'all, man. Hold on, man. One time. One gunshot for y'all. Real quick, real quick. Hold up. One gunshot for us. With that, man, we send y'all on y'all way. Be safe. Uh, love yours. It's still cold. Winter time inside. So we just talked about mad content that you can curl up and watch. Go check that out. Uh, shout out to all the sisters. Shout out to all the lovers. Peace. Water. We gone. Super.